You're listening to the Gateway Franklin Church Podcast. To learn more about Gateway Franklin Church, including our service times here in Franklin, Tennessee, visit us online at gatewayfranklin.com. And now, here is this week's message. We began our amazing Jesus study in the Gospel of Mark. Um, Really, what it is, it's a... It's a look through the gospel writer's eyes. Um, If we can get some more light, please. Um, I I started the series by setting the original context, or at least in which um, uh, the the writer of uh, the gospel, Mark, Mark, and who his intended audience was, who what was their setting? What why was it written to them? Now, of course. Everyone who reads the Gospel of Mark, it's written to us, right? But in its original context, what was it, who was it given to? And it was given to the, the Christians in Rome. And the Christians in Rome were under intense political and social uh, pressure, all right? So what does political pressure look like? Well, political pressure would have, been, would have meant um, rules, regulations, things like that set up that would work against what against their lifestyle and what they stood for. And then the social pressure would have just been the normal water cooler, uh, cul-de-sac kind of thing when you held to a different position, a different posture, a different lifestyle. And they were the first century, those first century Christians in Rome were under that kind of intense political and social pressure. Um, this week I finished the second reading of a book called The Obstacle is the Way, um, written by a, a man named Ryan Holiday. And it's kind of a, a modern day approach to stoicism. Um, and I don't usually read stuff this deep, um, but I had read it before under recommendation. It was, a, it was a pretty good read. And this time I was reading through it. He had pushed in particular to go back and read um, Seneca and a book or at least a writing called Meditations by Marcus Aurelius. Again, I am not near this smart, okay? So please, if you're a guest, don't think I'm just trying to run through my bibliography here. But Seneca was written around the time of Christ, And then Marcus Aurelius would have written um, probably 60 years maybe after uh, the writing of the Gospel of Mark. But what I loved about when I'm reading through some of these introductions is how it reinforced some of the stuff that I had learned really just reading religious stuff and being in Bible school, right? So in the introduction of, uh, of Meditations, the author wrote this. They were talking about the Christians in Rome. They were a small an eccentric set, in the course of the next century, they would become an increasing problem for the imperial administration and were prominent enough in Marcus's day to attract a great deal of attention and contempt from intellectuals. Their disfavor stemmed from their failure to acknowledge the gods worshipped by the community, their refusal to accept any god but their own, and their reluctance to acknowledge the divine stature of the emperor." These things were concluded as a threatening, as threatening the social order and the well-being of the state. Okay, so the Christians in Rome, about this time, a hundred or so years, uh, well, when it was written, sixty years to uh, after Jesus's um, death, they were starting to present, as perceived by the citizens of Rome, as a problem and a threat. Um, Notice in particular, they, they, they would not acknowledge that Caesar had divine status, all right? And so by that very nature, they, had, they, were, uh, they set themselves apart. There was no avoiding 
who these Christians were, what they had to say, what they believed. Um, Now, I don't dip my toe in politics very much, as you know, Um, but what I would say here is um, you can be a follower of Christ and land on both sides of a label of liberal or conservative, then you really have to parse out which, which views and viewpoints on those two sides actually contradict or um, coincide with scripture, okay? But, but I, I know we live in a very conservative, most of my political views would be conservative, but I just, I just wanna warn you that the main tenet of conservatism is self-rule. Okay, I'm for that, right? Self-rule, capitalism, for it. But the kingdom of God is God rule. And sometimes God rule is different than our self-rule, right? And so so all this is, all this, please don't, you know, send me any bad emails, okay? I won't won't read them anyway. I can pick up on the tenor really quickly. Um, That's not true. I read them and obsess over them like like you guys do. Um, But what what I want to put forward here is the issue wasn't politics. Their politics weren't the issue. The issue was their stance on the kingdom. Okay? It was their stance on Christ. And, And they were so noticeably different in how they acted, how they voted, that it caused significant turmoil in the kingdom. Now, that's a good thing, when believers cause a little turmoil in the kingdom, okay? But we gotta have a tough enough skin to do that and understand that there would be direct stuff directed to us. In fact, Constantine doesn't come into power in Rome until the early 300 ADs, and it was Constantine gets converted to Christianity and then ushers in this kind of level of peace in the kingdom for Christians. But Christ dies in about 33 AD. So from about 33 AD to 312 AD, there is major disruption in Rome, sophisticated, right? This is the heart of the world here, right? Um, and yet these Roman Christians thrived. And the gospel mark is Peter, basically Mark's compilation of Peter's uh, recollection stories, First-hand interactions, we get brought into the inner circle of Christ through Peter. And the Gospel of Mark then gets written specifically for that context that those Roman Christians would be able to hold on and push forward. So in Mark 2, you know, we start with Mark 2. Mark 2, the lame boy gets lowered down through the ceiling. He gets healed, but that isn't the startling point. The startling point is Christ, this man forgives his sins, and that disrupts everything. Mark 4, last week, we talked about Jesus teaching in a parable. He taught in a parable, the sower of the seed, but he taught in a parable to cause, to cause people to assess their interest in Christ. Were they just curious or were they serious? Were they going to hang around and want to know more, or were they just going to take this and just walk away from it? And then, if you came close enough to it, there was a distinct collision Because Jesus made you decide what was the condition of your soul. Was it hard? Was it crowded? Was it shallow? All right, because our souls that aren't crowded, aren't shallow, um, uh, aren't hard, produce, produce fruit 
in the kingdom. The kingdom seeds do what the kingdom seeds are supposed to do. Today, today we're going to uh, go to the end of chapter 4. And a story that, and then just this, the sermon I'm just titled Storm Central. Um, fitting for um, one day removed from, I think spring is supposed to start tomorrow by someone's understanding. So why not have snow, right? <laughs> why, why not have snow in 21 degrees before spring? So here's the text. That day when evening came, it's verse 35. That day when evening came, he said to his disciples, let us go to the other side. So this is after all the teachings in four, the parables, the one specifically we used last week. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in, just as he was in the boat. There was also other boats with him. This would have been the others that hung around afterwards to to hear about the parables uh, commentary. A furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Probably said it a little differently than that. I'd say, all right. The wind, then the wind died down, and it was completely, pretty good word there, it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Also probably not said in the same tone. Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. So let's break down the content elements of the narrative. Actually, I want to pray again, and then I'll break down the contents. Father, this is your word. Um, this, This was an actual event. Peter is here in this boat, and it made such an impression on him. And then it made such an impression on Mark that we have these words, this content, this context recorded. Which means it's, it's not just an ancient story. There are, there are promises here. There are things that we can hold on to. There's things that it tells us about who you are and who we are in your presence. And so in this moment, this holy moment, Holy Spirit, I ask that you would bring, not just bring out the, um, the truths of a passage, but Father, to bring out the spirit of this passage. Lord, that it wouldn't just um, be something that we listen to. Lord, it would be something we adjust to. Help us adjust to the truth of your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, here's the content. First content is the storm was sudden. Storm was sudden. I've only been in Chicago one time, um, but it was cold and it wasn't supposed to be. And I remember the wind whipping through those buildings to the point where I said, oh, the windy city. Right? There was something about the buildings and, and, and the wind coming off of whichever of those great lakes it is. Forgive my lack of, but I did read you some of Marcus Aurelius. So give me, give me, some, give me some intellectual latitude here. And, um, and so it whips through the buildings uh, and it picks up speed. Well, the Sea of Galilee sat 
sits in basically a basin. And the way kind of the mountain ranges are ra around the Sea of Galilee, it happens kind of in a similar fashion. That, that somehow the wind ends up picking up pace through those corridors and, they can, and it can come up suddenly. These were not rookie seamen, right? The, these, were, these were experienced. These kids would have, would have, these guys, these men would have grown up as kids around this sea. Their fathers would have fished on this, on this, on this sea. They, some of them had fished on this sea. So, so this is not unfamiliar to them. And yet still we know the storm was sudden. Uh, and then all of the, the, the ships here, all of the boats going across, all of them were in danger, right? So it wasn't like it wasn't like just enveloped Jesus's boat. It would have enveloped all of the boats in this little uh, flotilla. And all of them were in danger of sinking, okay? So content number one. Content number two is Jesus was asleep, all right? Jesus was asleep. How can you sleep through a storm like that? All I have is my personal experience from preaching. And when I get home on a Sunday, first of all, I'm old enough to have my own chair. Some of the men understand this. No, one, no one's supposed to sit in your chair. I have my chair, and when I get home, it doesn't, I don't care how loud it is. I don't care how uncomfortable I may be. I don't care if all the lights are on. Nothing will deter that nap. All right? And it's, it happens almost every Sunday. There's only a little gap between football season and golf season. So, so I'll, I'll, I'll turn on a football game. I don't care how thrilling the game is. Dude, I'm at. Last weekend was the Players' Championship. It's a huge, it's like the fifth major golf tournament. I'm, I'm sitting there. I, 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 I stopped trying. I just went right to sleep, you know? And it's not like a 15-minute nap. Like, it's an hour, and I'm comatose. All right, and there, 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 is a, there is an emotional and spiritual um, drain that comes, and I only do it twice on a Sunday. And Jesus sat there, presumably, most of the morning, mid-morning to mid-afternoon, he would have sat and taught, and they come across as just little stories, and yet you can imagine, now he's, he's preaching the kingdom, he's teaching the kingdom, this stuff is emotionally draining. We understand Jesus was a man. In fact, it's interesting that in Mark here is the only record of Jesus sleeping. Now we know he slept, right? But it's the only record of him sleeping. And he wasn't just asleep, right? The, the dude was out, you know, he was, he was out. So, so the storms are sudden, Jesus was asleep, and then the disciples were afraid. I mean, they were legit, 100% going to drown. They knew that. They, this was something new for them, and they were 100% afraid. And they wake up Jesus, um, maybe a combination of half afraid and half mad. That, that's the implication of the text, right? Half afraid and half mad, or maybe 100% afraid and 100% mad. Right? All right, but they were afraid. Uh, the fourth element of the content is that Jesus speaks up and the storm stops. All right? It's, it's, Jesus doesn't address the disciples. He addresses the storm. Okay? He doesn't address the disciples. He addresses the storm. And then he addresses the disciples. All right? All right, and the fifth element is that the disciples were amazed. They, they had witnessed Jesus' miracles. They had not witnessed a miracle with nature. And there's a whole thing there that I could break out. They, they, had, they had witnessed his, his, his healings, exorcisms, 
but never around nature. Interesting. All right, how would this have been received by the believers in Rome, this story? What, what could they have applied to their context? You've heard me say this before. We're as close to the first century context as ever in my lifetime. So we should be able to hear the story through their same ears. All right, so let's go back through these con- the content of the story and look at what are the constants. It was a constant in that story. It was a constant for the first century believers in Rome. And these are constants for us. The first is the worst storms are sudden storms. And they happen to everybody. The worst storms that we face are sudden storms. There there is a reason why it says, well, that came out of the blue. Right? I mean, the inference there is a blue sky. Blue sky, clear sailing, Things are working out in your favor, and then all of a sudden, diagnosis, all of a sudden, phone call, all of a sudden, all of a sudden, we can all fill in all the blanks on all of a sudden. All of a sudden means zero warning, zero time to prepare yourself, zero time to, to get ready. And, and a default is, or at least it's my default, so you see if it's your default, Two equal and opposite. One is a woe is me, a woe is me, and you've heard me say this before, and a why me, right? Woe is me. What am I going to do now, right? It's like all of the the good or positive or all the momentum that was flowing your way, you thought, now as, as, as fast as that might have been flowing, the all of a sudden storm causes all of that to go away, and then we focus on how bad things are for me, okay? And, and I can, so I'm speaking to myself like I'm speaking to you, not helpful, right? It, take a moment, and, but, it, but if you take a moment too long, you get stuck in that moment, right? And, and you're not at a lack for finding someone to sit in that moment with you. And a good friend will sit in that moment with you, but a really good friend won't let you stay in that seat very long. Okay? Well, then the why, why me comes in, right? And the why me ends up being a negotiation with God. Well, didn't you see what I did last week? Don't you see what I'm doing now? And, what? and so the, the why me also, again, take your moment, but, but at least hear me, hear, hear it from, a, from, from, a, from my pastor's heart to you. Why me somehow differentiates ourselves from everybody else? Like, like, I mean, what's the alternative to why me? Well, why not them? God, can you do it to Ryan and not me? Right? There's not a good other side of of the why me. So, So these things happen to everybody. And so it's it's okay to let yourself hit a natural moment. But yet, we are supernatural with Christ. So, woe me and why me don't stay there long because there's not going to be answers really in the, in the, in the woe is me and the why is me. Um, hard always has bad timing. Right? When, when have we ever said, well, I'm glad it happened now? And if you said, I'm glad it happened now, it's because you were prepared for it. Right? I'm glad hard always has bad timing. 
Hard does not discriminate. And if you live long enough, you face hard. Um, how, are you, how are we then to live under this realization that hard comes is coming? Is that just pessimistic? I don't think that's pessimistic, depending on how you deal with that emotion. I don't think it's pessimistic to buy in that hard will come. So you can either ignore that, right? That's not, that doesn't help you. Or you can obsess over hard's coming. That doesn't help you, right? So what's the answer to live by faith? And that's a real preachy thing to say, right? It's a real preacher thing to say, live by faith. What does that mean? Well, let's, let's start here. Let's, let's, mean what it, let's say what it doesn't mean. Okay? It doesn't mean I ignore this stuff or that it may happen. And it doesn't mean I'm going to obsess over it. Okay? So let's, let's settle in there at least that walking by faith doesn't obsess that hard's going to come and I'm going to stay in my house in my room because I'm afraid something's going to happen. Or I'm going to ignore it and act like I can do anything I want to do. Um, faith is believing that we're not alone in the chaos and that we're not left to our own devices in order to figure it out, all right? Which brings us to the third piece. So I can say that we're not alone in it, okay? But he was asleep, right? So asleep definitely feels alone, all right? So here's the second piece. Um, I've used this for years and years, this phrase. Silence isn't absence, Silence isn't absence. Um, there is a difference uh, at being asleep at the wheel and asleep in the stern. The stern was built for sleep, not the wheel. There is, there is more to Jesus' sleep than exhaustion. He was able to sleep because he was at peace. So his, his man side fully needed his rest, but the God side did not need his eyes open to know that the threat was real. He knew that nothing was going to ultimately harm them because of his presence being there. Now, I can get obsessed about hearing from the Lord. Like, I need a word. Anybody ever say that to God? If you've been around the faith any, any length of time, you go, I need a, I need a word. I need to know what to do here. And almost, it's going to sound really counterintuitive coming from me. It's almost like we get so obsessed about needing a word that somehow we forgot what he said last. And, and, I, and I get every once in a while you need a, um, a landmark to know that you're going in the right direction. I remember driving. I drove from one side of Romania to the other side of Romania by myself with a Romanian map. Now, that's okay because everything looks the same, but it was in Romanian, and I didn't know that when I had it with me. And so I was heading the opposite direction I was supposed to be driving, and it was nearly, it was nearly 30 minutes before I realized it because I kept seeing a word, and I kept seeing that same word. And I thought I was going, but it just meant bridge. And by the time I figured out, I had to drive another 30 minutes out of the way to come back into the city to go in a completely different direction. And then I was paying a lot more attention, right, to where I was going. I understand the need, the desire, the benefit of seeing landmarks along the way. But I'm just telling you that if you get too obsessed on needing another word 
you have a tendency to forget the last word. Jesus told them to get into the boat to go to the other side. He didn't say, let's get in the boat and drown halfway there. Right? And so, yeah, I get it. I freak out over storms too. There, there is no issue with this. I'm just saying that hear it now, not through the person in the boat. You are the first century believer. You are the 21st century believer. Why is this story recorded? Why do we have these details? What was Mark intending on trying to communicate with including the story? Clearly, there are plenty of stories about Jesus we'll never know until that day because they don't get recorded, right? So this one you take on, silence isn't absence. Just because you haven't heard that latest word does not mean that he's still or that he it doesn't mean that he's not in the boat with you. Interesting caveat here. I, I think I need to be less concerned about Jesus in my boat, and I probably need to be a whole lot more concerned about me being in his boat. Okay? So, um, just because, last thing on this is just because you're not feeling it doesn't mean that he ain't speaking it. All right? Feelings are real, they just don't always tell the truth. All right? All right, so we got the worst storms are sudden storms. They happen to everyone. Silence is an absence. Here's the third. Here's the third is Jesus is God. Jesus is God. All right? So the disciples wake up Jesus and they're full of fear and they're full of doubt, which exposed the fact that they had not yet received him or seen him as God. He was definitely like more than human to them possibly, right? That like he's talking like nobody's talked before. He's doing stuff we no one's done before. We have a really probably good idea that he's the Messiah, but obviously there was still a disconnect because of their fear. This one hit me the most this week. Do I believe Jesus is the Messiah? I do. But how do I coincide that with sometimes the way I respond or react in circumstances? Do I really believe he's God? They would have been very familiar with Psalm 121. They couldn't have quoted it. They would have recognized it as when it was being read. Okay, here's Psalm 121. I lift up my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord the maker of heaven and earth. He will not let my, your, right? He would not let my foot slip. He who watches over me will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord watches over me. The Lord is, the, is my shade at my right hand. The sun will not harm me by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep me from all harm. He will watch over me, my life. The Lord will watch over your coming and your going. That's when I tap in, when I do my benediction, I, I add in this piece, right? The Lord will watch over your coming and going both now and forevermore. So there would have been an understanding, there would have at least been a recognition or a recollection of this psalm, but they had yet to be able to connect this psalm to who Jesus was, God. They're really cute words to read. They sound really good coming off the tongue. They're David's words, but they're our words. David is teaching us who God is 
and what God's ability and God's power is. Um, we don't have to teach kids to be afraid. All right? Um, or or I'm, saying, I'm take the children are fearless. You don't have to teach kids not to be fearless. I remember being at one of y'all's houses. I don't remember what's one of you that have teenagers. And, um, and you're, um, I can't remember which little boy it was. Um, I could have been Coleman. I don't know. He was standing at the top of the stairs, and I lifted up my hands and told him to jump. And um, the mom flipped out. Like, don't, he will, he will jump. You know, he will jump, right? We don't have to teach us to be fearless. And what, um, what we know is that the prefrontal cortex of our brains don't form until our mid-20s, which, which means um, our ability to, to um, recognize consequences, right? Um, but then once we recognize consequences, then we, we can become fearful. So you learn, you learn what it means to be fearful, and students in here, if you're wondering why your parents are so cautious about things, it's because they've been hit in the face more than you have, right? More bloody noses, right? And you haven't had your nose bloodied as much yet, right? And if you have, then you wipe it off and go play again, right? Um, so moms and dads, grandparents, grandparents, aunts, uncles, hear me for a second. You have to unlearn this fear. Right? Faith takes practice. And, and it's not an indication of his weakness. It's, it's our indication of getting punched in the mouth. And, and so we, at some point, you can either respond to that or you can give in to that. Right? And, it, and it's interesting. You only have to be punched in the face once or twice. And sometimes then you don't get near, you don't get near anything hard again. Right, because that memory, that memory of that keeps you keeps you on the sideline, because you're like, I don't want to do that again, right? So, so faith takes practice. So, uh, I wrote this: fear is easily learned. Faith takes practice. Fear is natural. Faith is supernatural. But with practice, faith can can, can be instinctual. Um, all right, so 2 Timothy 1 through 7, here's the amplified version of this. For God did not give us a spirit of timidity or cowardice or fear, but he has given us a spirit, there's four here, a spirit of power, of love, of sound judgment, personal discipline. The ability that results in a calm, well-balanced mind and self-control, which is what all of us need when we hit a sudden storm. All right, here's the fourth piece. So we got um, storms are sudden, silence is an absence, Jesus is God, and then we have roar. Roar isn't rain. Roar isn't rain. Jesus didn't wake up rattled by the storm. Um, he wasn't rattled by the waves. He didn't get up and tell the disciples, bail faster, right? The winds and the rains were trying to substantiate their dominance, and they would have been loud and foreboding. Um, and to the wind, he says, quiet. And to the waves, he says, be still. So they have new, there's nuances to these words. Um, the, to the wind, it's a rebuke. Shut up. 
It's a rebuke. That, that, it, would have, it, would have, it would have came out like that. Shut up. It's a rebuke. Now, the wind is what was causing the waves, right? Waves don't have life of their own. So he rebukes the source, all right? But the source then causes ripple effects. So then he, he speaks to the ripple effects. He rebukes the source, but he doesn't leave the ripple effects alone to keep, right? Ripples of boats, it keeps going and going and going and going, right? It says they became completely calm. I mean, they went like this. It's crazy. It is crazy. So to them, the, um, or, or, or the nuance of the word be still would have been much more like be muzzled. Be muzzled. It, it, like a forceful, right? Shut your bark. Stop showing your teeth. Shut up. Stop it. This is his address to the sudden storm. They're standing in ankle deep to knee deep water. They're around Jesus. You can, you can almost get the picture. Like they didn't send one person to wake him up. They would have been around him, standing in the water, holding on to maybe whatever they could get their hands on because of the drastic nature of the storm. So they're yelling, and the storm's yelling, and then you have Jesus asleep. And he stops everything with just his words. Listen, we live in a very loud season. And... Um, the loudest voices are the ones that end up getting heard and getting adjusted to. I don't know if you, any of you have watched the Jesus Revolution uh, movie yet. It's been out now a couple weeks. Uh, it's blown everybody's expectations in terms of what it's grossed in Hollywood and all that kind of stuff. But there's a scene in that where Kelsey Grammer is playing the role of Chuck Smith, who was um, the Calvary Chapel pastor. And he's just like, He's just confused by everything. And his wife says to him, it's the truth. The truth is quiet. The truth is quiet. Chris, Pastor Chris will be surprised because even in his praying for the team this morning, he talked about listening for the whisper of God. The whisper of God. Loud things end up demanding our attention. But roar isn't rain. The loudest things in your life, more than likely, are not the things in control. They want, they want you to believe they're in control. They want to demand your attention like, the, like, like they're in control. And that's what the enemy does. And that's what fear plays into. Fear plays into the loud, sudden storm and its intensity it, it, I understand that its intensity has to draw your attention to it. I understand your, its intensity draws you to have to do something with it. I get this, right? We've had more people diagnosed with cancer in the last couple months or so. It's been crazy. Um, Pat's in here today, out of, out of left field, right? Out of the blue, did not not expect this. We have person Bob Kruger. Bob's probably watching. Hey, Bob. I guarantee you Bob's watching. He's playing golf. Gets a little unstable. It's a brain tumor. It's a brain tumor. He had brain surgery last week. 
and he was talking to me on the phone. And, ha- and I, I called him this week, and there were people in his room that weren't his family. He had me pray for someone else in his room that was, had a spinal injury. I'm just like, Bob, you have had brain surgery. Can you stop with the party in your room? <laughs> he said, well, I, I was giving him Skittles. The loud thing doesn't have to take all of your heart energy for it. it ha- you have to address it. You have to deal with it. But are we going to deal with it in a, in a panicked, I'm going to drown posture where Jesus is God? And so you, you have to adjust what you believe is in control. And generally speaking, the loudest thing is what's not in control. So, storms are sudden. Silence is an absence. Jesus is God. Roar isn't rain. And so that just leaves us with faith over fear. Right? Faith over fear. So the narrative ends. Uh, come on up, team. The narrative ends with a very sobering interaction. Jesus. What's up, guys? I thought that we would have been together long enough, even though it had not been a long time. Thought we were together long enough for you to have more faith in me. And then all it says about their reaction is they were terrified. And I, and I, I can't really even break this word down really well. It's kind of like they were in awe of what he just did. And like, who are you? Like, we've watched you teach. We've watched you do these things. But he came at them with a level of power and authority that they had yet, they had yet seen or experienced. And I'm just telling you, it was, it was a little off-putting because they were in the presence of someone that powerful with it. With just, just a word, something changes. Here are the constant takeaways One more time. Storms are sudden. That's the stuff that sin has ushered into our life. You realize that, right? This is not how things were supposed to be. This is ultimately Christ standing against the objections of Satan because all God movement is opposed. The life that you and I have to live in is a life and a world that's been marred by sin. But God didn't wipe his hands of that and say, I'll see, you, I'll see you in a couple thousand years. Present. Silence is an absence. Jesus has come to us. He came. It's interesting. The spirit is given. The spirit is active in the Old Testament. And, and he, he's active through the prophets. And the prophets come and the prophets guide and the prophet gives, prophets give words to nations. And then he comes, the Spirit comes in Acts chapter 2, and he comes and we can receive and hear him individually. Christ comes as the Word, as the Logos. We have his Word, we have his Spirit. The Spirit 
brings the word off the page. The spirit drives the word deep. The spirit recalls the word to our, to our minds. And the spirit is who we've been given this spirit of power, love, sound mind. Just because it looks or feels like you're drowning right now and you haven't, you haven't gotten that word as we would say in spirit-filled circles, we have the word. Jesus is God. There is no one or nothing more powerful than God. And then even in Isaiah, God refers to Jesus as um, mighty hero. In Isaiah 6, roar isn't rain, which means loud isn't Lord. And then faith is movement. Fear is stuck. Keep rowing. Keep rowing. I know that there's got to be people dealing with all of a sudden circumstances. And I'd love to still pray with you, but I think the way we're going to address this response, come on, gentlemen, our response today is going to be receiving communion together. Because if there was, if there was something that looked like silence, the cross looked like silence. It looked like he was silenced. And yet it was the big power move. It, it, it is the action, his crucifixion and his resurrection are the actions of quiet, be still. Shut up, be muzzled. This is what he does on the cross. This is what he does in resurrection. The cups, you're going to take two cups. They're nested together. The bottom one contains the wafer, which represents the body of Christ. The juice, the top cup, represents the blood of Christ. Um, the wafer is gluten-free. Um, when he finishes a significant teaching time with the disciples, the same disciples that would have been in this boat, in this setting, he walks them through the Passover, um, which is pointing to something their ancestors had experienced, um, 430 years of slavery ended in one day. The word is very specific. So that 430 years to the day they were in captivity and then they weren't. I can't speak to the 429 days, 364, right? Each of us will find and feel times of being in the boat, being swamped, being in captivity. But there was a day and it was no more. And so one third of Mark's gospel is given to the events leading up to the cross and the crucifixion and the resurrection. One third of his gospel, and it's the shortest of gospels, and one third of it deals with it. So you, you, you can't, I can't help by connecting the dots of a story of Jesus in a boat on a lake where it feels like they're going to be drowned and then getting right to the fact that this ends it all. I know you wish that you can snap a finger 
and all that you're in the middle of would go away. But while you're in it, while you're in it, know he's in it with you. And he always has the final word. You you can walk through this. You can walk through this. This is the strength necessary to walk through it. You don't have to walk through it alone. This is why the church is his idea. You might not know anyone close enough yet. Well, there's still a way for someone to walk through there. When you just you can let Pastor Tony know through our website on the care. It's gatewayfranklin.com slash care, isn't it? And, and there's a way in which people already will come alongside you in, in whatever hard season you're in. This is why we push small groups so much around here because the small groups, even though these aren't, aren't life groups in the sense that you, you meet every week for the rest of your life, you still, these are round tables, these are round circles. See, we do Sunday morning in lines, right? But we do small groups and, and serve teams, we do those in circles where you look someone in the eye, someone looks you in the eye, someone can pray with you, stand with you. But all of that is predicated on what Christ did for us on the cross. If you aren't a follower of Christ, there aren't any magic hoops to jump through. There's not a ritual in which to surrender your life to Christ. It comes first an acknowledgement that you aren't where you want to be, and you're in stuff that you don't want to be in anymore. You, you have come to the conclusion that it leaves you, whatever it is, leaves you empty. It, whatever high those experiences are, when they're done, you find yourself lower than you were before. That should draw you to the conclusion that the places in which you're looking for life does not deliver that which it promises. Okay, so that, that all of us who've come to Christ have had to come to that real, realization at some point. And then, then what's, what's left? And sometimes you come to the conclusion if none of those things work, then there's nothing left, but there is something left, and it's Christ. He's left. And he's done all the heavy lifting because he's the one, while you are in the middle of your stuff, He loves you and died so that you could have life. And that sounds probably a little strange without much background. So, so, but but the tug that you're feeling is is, is telling you that it's true. Then there's more to it that you'll unpack, but that element is true. Life can only come from death scripturally. So Christ dies to give us life. The way we receive life is we put down our life and we receive his life. And again, it's amazing that how in one minute you could be lost and sinking. And the next minute by just the acknowledgement of where you are and what he offers, life, salvation, that your life can change. Amen. Changes. Your desires change, 
the, the power pull in your life changes? Pastors, everything get better. I'll say this, you can walk to the better. But, but the pull and the tug and the power is broken with Christ. And that's what this symbolizes. It's, it's, more, it's, more, than, it's more than grape juice and a cracker. There, there is, it's the mystical element of our faith that this represents the blood of Christ that was shed for our sins and his body that was broken for us. It's the, there's something mystical, highly spiritual about this. And so you can confess where you are and receive what he's done and be saved today. This is how Jesus gives it here at Passover. It says, while they were eating, Jesus took bread and he gave thanks and he broke it and he gave it to his disciples saying, take and eat, and eat. this is my body. Let's partake of the body of Christ. he took the cup he gave thanks and offered it to them saying drink from it all of you this is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins I tell you I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now until the day when I drink it anew with you in my father's kingdom and when they had sung a hymn they went out to the Mount of Olives it's interesting they sing a hymn I've read this so much right and it just seems so simple but it's on the Mount of Olives in which Jesus faces his greatest fears. And he gives them this promise before he walks that road. Let's receive the blood of Christ today. So let's stand and sing maybe what we would consider him. And during this song, if you want someone to stand with you in a storm, step out of your seat, come to the altar. We have people that will stand with you and pray with you during this time. We hope you were encouraged and challenged by today's message. Again, to learn more about Gateway Franklin Church, find us online at gatewayfranklin.com. Thanks for joining us today.